You are listening to the Mother Good Podcast, episode number 52. I'm your host, Emily Carney. We at Mother Good believe that there's no way to be a perfect mom, but many ways to be a good one. Our content is judgment-free within the context of evidence-based research. Justina, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Well, I'm so excited to have you on. I follow you on Instagram and I've heard you on another podcast and I just think your story is so incredible and so excited for you to share it with all of the Mother Good listeners. So could we first start off by just telling everyone about yourself, who you are, where you live, and uh, any other background information you want to give? All right. Um, I'm Justina Cuff. Uh, I am 30 years old and I live in... Uh, a suburb of Minneapolis, Minnesota, um, just moved during uh, quarantine. So I'm <laughs> still oh, wow. It's Yeah, it's been insane. Um, some of your listeners might know me because I um, am the Catholic quad mom. I have quadruplet four-year-olds, um, one girl and three boys, Cora, Raphael, Theodore, and Benedict. Um, and we got a quarantine puppy. So we're very busy over here. <laughs> What kind of puppy did you guys get? I'm just curious. Uh, we got a Bernadoodle, a standard Bernadoodle. So she's huge. <laughs> oh, so cute. We have a golden doodle. So another another doodle. But yes, <laughs> those Bernadoodles are cute too. Yeah, she's a tricolor. She's gorgeous. So I'd love to just dive into your story of, you know, finding out you were pregnant with quadruplets and just finding out about your journey and, and everything along the way and everything that happened. So uh, as you already mentioned that you have quadruplets <laughs> and how old are they now? They just turned four on the 16th. Oh, okay. Well, happy birthday to them. That's so, ex- yeah. so exciting. So yeah, I guess just walk us through of how did you get pregnant with quadruplets and what was it like finding out? Well, uh, for some background here, uh, I have uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome, and just this year, so well after I had the babies, I found out that I also have endometriosis. So I um, knew that getting pregnant was going to be uh, an interesting journey for me. Um, and so we got married in September of 2015, um, September 4th, and we got pregnant right away on our honeymoon, and we were thrilled. Um, but then a few weeks after we found out that we were pregnant, um, we found out that we had lost the baby and I, uh, ended up having a DNC, but my fertility never returned. Um, I was in and out of the doctor for <laughs> several months there, um, going in every couple of weeks, getting labs checked and everything. And my body just wasn't, wasn't going, um, which was sort of unusual because I also, had, I'd lost the pregnancy at, um, seven weeks. So it, it didn't make sense that my body wasn't like bouncing back right away. Um, so my doctor, uh, decided to put me on Clomid, um, especially given my background, uh, with, uh, PCOS. So, um, we tried three different dosages of, um, uh, the Clomid and, uh, (laughs) The third round was the only one that worked, and it really worked. <laughs> um, and we caught every egg that went. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> so um, 
it was so funny because at this appointment where um, we were doing a follicle scan, it looked like only two eggs were going to go. And there were two eggs that looked like, oh, well, they probably won't go because they were not as big and whatever. So he like, he had very intentionally said, you're not going to end up with quads or anything. Uh, <laughs> and we laughed. Um, <laughs> and uh, then a couple weeks later, when I was at my six week appointment, um, <laughs> we really laughed <laughs> because there were four babies. <laughs> at first it only looked like three. Um, but uh, they went back to, I realized that I had missed uh didn't get a picture of one of the kids. Um, and so I asked if we could go back and get an ultrasound picture of that one. Um, and they checked on that fourth sack, which looked like it was just like a blighted ovum. Um, but nope, that was the ever elusive baby D now known as Benedict who has kept us on our toes ever since. (laughs) Wow. That is incredible. Now I don't really normally think of Clomid as, a drug that would cause multiples. Is that, is that kind of common or, I mean, that's just not the type of fertility treatment that I would expect to produce multiples. Yeah. Um, actually it increases your, what my doctors told me was that it increases your chance of multiples like fivefold. So like the average woman, your chances of twins is like one to 2%, but on Mm -hmm. it goes up to like 10%. So, um, so even on Clomid, your, your chances of twins, yeah, 10%. Chances of triplets are like 0.3%. Uh, wow. And there's no data for quads, <laughs> but we exist. Oh. <laughs> We're there. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was, it was still extremely rare, um, but here we are. That's crazy. I, I just did a quick Google as you were talking too, and you're right. It says your chance of conceiving triplets on Clomid is less than 1%. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> that's just crazy. So how is it getting pregnant or finding out that you were pregnant again after a miscarriage? Because I know that that can be pretty difficult as well. Yeah. I mean, I personally, thankfully, I haven't experienced that, but I pretty much almost all of my friends have at some point in their motherhood journey. And they've told me how it's impacted their motherhood. So how is it, you know, going through that miscarriage and then finding out that that you were pregnant again? Well, so keep in mind that I had like this little baby marriage, you know, that when we found out we were pregnant with, when we found out we were pregnant again, it was like, I don't know, six and a half months into our pregnant, into our, um, our marriage. So, uh, we're, you know, living together for the first time and we're figuring out all of these things and we, you know, get that first pregnancy and we're so excited and to then for that to be taken away so quickly and especially being Catholic and my husband has a large family and, um, a lot of his siblings were married and having kids at the time too. So I was just surrounded by pregnancy. And so I felt sort of robbed. Um, and I, I didn't, I didn't really understand cause it was so, so abstract, you know, like I, I didn't know what it was like to, you know, grow a baby and deliver that baby and, and hold my own child. And so losing that first one was so, um, so it was such an abstract loss. So then to get pregnant again, <laughs> you're, you're like, okay, well, is that going to happen again? Like, what are the statistics there? You know, um, 
like, will it happen to me again? And I, I said to my husband so many times, like, I feel like I got robbed of like the innocence and the, the pure joy, you know, like there is obviously fear that goes with like being pregnant where you're like, how am I going to do this? And you know, you're, it's, you know, it's not necessarily like crippling anxiety, you know, like you're, you're joyful and fearful at the same time. Like those things tend to go like hand in hand when you're pregnant. Right. Right. And I felt like I didn't have as much of the joy at first there. And then to find out we were having quadruplets, like we laughed for the first two days after we found out that there were four. And then when that like, you know, third day after like the, the panic really set in. Cause I'm like, okay, well, great. Like our chances of, of spontaneous loss here are like 40 times higher, 40, 40 times, 40% higher than like in a singleton pregnancy. So mm. then like anxiety, which I'm already prone to like pregnant or not was sky high. Right. And so, I mean, I still struggle with this now. Like I, I didn't have, I never had like an ordinary, whatever that is, like motherhood experience with pregnancy, like discerning a second child or any of that. Like I didn't get any of that. Um, but it felt like that first miscarriage really like set us up for all the anxiety that we would feel throughout the pregnancy with the quadruplets. Right. I can imagine because you just went from zero to four overnight and it's not like, yeah. oh, do we want, when do we want our second and third and baby fourth? <laughs> it's yeah, just... They're only 30 seconds apart. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's crazy. And, and just as you said, you know, if I, I feel like if I found out I was pregnant with multiples, I mean, especially like three or four, maybe not as much for twins, but I'm, I mean, I know it still happens for twins, but especially for three or four, I would be feeling the same way, you know, as one of them going to pass or if you're going to lose it. So I, I can imagine that. Uh, so how was it finding out that you're pregnant with quadruplets? Were you and your husband just shocked or what was that like? Yeah. Um, we, like I said, we, we laughed. It was, it was funny. Like It was like, of course this would happen to us. <laughs> um, and again, it was still so abstract. We didn't know what it was like to bring a baby home. So it was like, haha, we have four babies. Like, we didn't know what that meant. Um, we had no idea what any of that meant. So it was funny until, you know, we started sitting on Google and the reality sort of set in like, okay, like, we just signed a lease on two bedroom apartments. That's obviously not going to work. Mm. Uh, like, my husband was working in real estate. So we're like, well, you know. Uh, I don't li- really super love the idea of having to like buy our own insurance. So maybe you should <laughs> get a different job and like all these like practicality things like, so, like set in. Um, but I mean, I would describe those first at first 48 hours as like pure joy, just pure that's, joy. That's beautiful. I, so what was the, the rest of the pregnancy? Like I can imagine that it was probably pretty difficult. I have an acquaintance who, uh, had triplets about a year ago and it, it was a pretty difficult pregnancy. So how, how was your pregnancy with multiples? Uh, it was uncomfortable. Pregnancy <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> is already uncomfortable <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with one. I'm pregnant with one. I'm like 38 weeks now and it's uncomfortable with one. So I can't, can't even yeah. imagine. At the end of my pregnancy, I was, my fundal height was, um, measuring like 52 weeks. 
So, so, um, and I'm not very, I'm not a very large person. I am five feet tall. Um, when I got pregnant with the kids, I was a hundred pounds. So I was, I am not a big person. Um, and so I, I ran out of room pretty quickly. Uh, and that made me really nervous. Uh, cause I, I really didn't want like my stature to be like the reason for loss or like super mm. labor or something. So, I mean, I took so many precautions. Um, I was on progesterone the entirety of the pregnancy. Um, I continued, um, at my doctor's advice, continued my metformin, um, is because of, uh, uh, PCOS. Mm-hmm. I, at 12 weeks, got a, uh, cervical cerclage. Um, I, I would tell my friends <laughs> that I had this like, um, ironclad cervix because God bless that organ in my body. She was, she's the real hero of this story. <laughs> um, no preterm labor whatsoever. No dilation, no funneling. Oh. She, she held, she held on. <laughs> um, but I mean, yeah, I had, I had, you know, the, the pubis, uh, syphysis dysfunction, you know, where like your pubic bone starts to separate. Oh, um, right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, I had that after my daughter and I have, have that now. Yeah. The SPD. Yep. It's so uncomfortable. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, so stairs and getting in and out of vehicles, which I was going to the doctor, especially at the end, going to the doctor three times a week. Um, so it was, I mean, it was very, those moments were very uncomfortable. Um, but I mean, there was, there was a lot of, there's a lot that I do miss from it. Um, the thought of like holding all of them all at once. And cause I can't do that now. I can't hold all of them all at once. Um, they'll squash me, <laughs> but just to feel like these four, like individual these four like distinct individuals, like just growing and moving and developing inside of me was so, gosh, like I, there's nothing like that. There's absolutely nothing like that. Um, so I, I really cherished that. And as uncomfortable as it was, like I, I distinctly remember like uh, lonely moments in my apartment uh, while my husband was at work, just laying on our bed and, just setting something down on my, on my stomach or wearing like a striped shirt or something. So I could see them all moving (laughs) and just like, I don't know. It was, it was so powerful and so beautiful. Yeah. I, yeah. Just as you were saying, I, I didn't really realize before getting pregnant myself, how difficult it was to manage. And I mean, we're talking for me, it's just, one baby. So I can't imagine multiplying that by two, but it's, it's really hard and it takes a big toll on, on your body. And just as you were saying, the pain and then the difficulty moving and everything, it's, it's pretty real. So what was it like going to your uh, doctor's appointments when you had multiples were, did you feel like the doctors were pretty supportive of you having multiples or did they ever pressure you into, or did you ever feel pressured to make certain decisions about your pregnancy? Yeah. So I was going to two different clinics throughout this, throughout that pregnancy. So, um, at the, at the start, when I, when we got pregnant, I was, uh, going to this like, uh, Christian, uh, pro-life clinic that's here in the twin cities. And so they were super supportive. Um, obviously they were, my 
my doctor turned like white as a ghost when he saw that there were four and he was like visibly sweating because he was like, Oh shoot. <laughs> like this is a lot. Um, but super supportive and knew that he had to refer us to, um, a perinatal specialist. So, uh, we got our, our case sort of transferred over to an MFM and there at eight weeks, um, my husband and I walk in, we're excited, um, a little nervous, but really excited. And we tell the doctor right away, like we are keeping these babies. Like my husband said, I want to see, I want to hear what your plan is for four healthy babies and one healthy mama. Like what, what are we going to do here? And the doctor smiling is like, that's really admirable. And a lot of people say that, but then they end up changing their minds. So I'm going to tell you, um, what that would be like and what the risks are. Um, all of the risks that this doctor um, told us were a risk to me, uh, not risks really to the baby. There were hardly any things that were mentioned about the babies. Um, but it was a lot of like, oh, you're going to uh, experience like uh, higher risk of like gestational diabetes or uh higher risk of, you know, hypertension or preeclampsia or all like listing all these things that were going to happen to my body. And the solution was to get, to get rid of two, essentially they, they Mm -hmm. recommended uh, reducing um, selective reduction was their, their term uh, to reduce down to two. Uh, But we already had researched that and had said to her, well, your chances of loss go up like losing the entire pregnancy go up if you reduce. And she didn't really have anything to say to that. Um, also wanted me to get off of progesterone. Um, and so it was just, it was so hard because like right from the beginning, it was a battle, you know, where it was at the fall. There were a couple appointments after that where it would come up again. And it was just like, no, I've already, like I've made my decision here and I'm fine with it. So I need you to be fine with it. And, um, like, let's do this. Like, it's a challenge. Like, let's, let's dive in. Let's do this. I, there was one doctor who ended up being the one that did, uh, deliver the babies. Uh, we never got along and she was, um, I would say I would, I would dare to use the word abusive in my direction. Mm-hmm. Um, just not respectful of my choices, um, would raise her voice at me, would tell oh frustrated she was with me. And it was because I dared to ask questions. Like I'm still a first, first time mom. Yes, I have four babies, but I'm still a first time mom. And I still yeah. have a lot of curiosities. And I'm, you know, this at that point, a 25 year old woman who has all of these ideas of, and dreams of what I want my delivery and, and pregnancy to be like. And that's definitely not that that birth was nothing like what I thought it was going to be like. And so it was me like trying to like gather like little bits of control here and there so that I could like be an active participant because it's, I mean, what ended up happening was (laughs) the opposite of active participation in a birth because I had um, severe preeclampsia and had to be uh, under general anesthesia for the birth. So I was asleep. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, that not my favorite. Uh, was it via cesarean or? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Yep. yep. Uh, but she just was not willing to work with me and mm. was not willing to, to hear me out, was scolding me and 
Wow. She wasn't even the one who ended up catching my preeclampsia. It was the other clinic, you know, the pro-life clinic that ended up catching it. And so, I mean, that was really, it was really frustrating because, I mean, there's all sorts of different factors here. Like we're the crazy family that decided to keep all four of our babies. Um, We're young and naive and we're, you know, first time parents. I'm black, you know, like all of these different factors here um, feeding into this where I'm like, which one of these things is it? Like, which one of these things is making you treat me this way? Um, And to be like, I, I don't know, like just. I'm the one that's carrying them. Like I'm, I am part of this. Like I'm part of this team, you know, and, and they're not exactly in this case, like no one that was in that delivery room and none of the doctors that worked with me had ever worked with quadruplets before. So I'm like, can we just like express like a tiny bit of humility here that like, we're all learning. We're all trying to figure this out. This is new for everyone here. Um, yeah, I still, I'm clearly still very salty about that, but um, I don't know. That was, that was really rough. That was really rough. I would definitely be too. And it, it, just as you were saying, it's, it seems like it's pretty difficult to find a healthcare provider that supports all of your choices and is very supportive of it. And basically trying to find a solution based on what you have expressed. I know that, you know, I myself had to go through a couple of providers myself or OBGYNs just to find, you know, my current one who's pretty laid back and just basically, uh, well, I mean, I, it seems like most uh, OBGYNs aren't really supportive of uh, not having any drugs or pain management, I guess, during delivery. Like most OBGYNs would just prefer if everyone got an epidural, it seems like. Yeah. But <laughs> my current OBGYN is even supportive of doulas or, you know, not getting one and those sorts of things. But it's hard, just as you're saying, to find someone who supports whatever decisions that you personally want to make for your your body and, and your children. Uh, I, I thought it was interesting that you brought up that, that you're Black and you're wondering if that was part of the reason you were getting that treatment. I'm just curious what your opinion is on or what your thoughts are on, uh, you know, the maternal mortality rate for blacks. Cause I know that it's so much higher than the every, you know, every single other ethnicity. And I just, I don't understand that. And I, I'm just curious if you just have an opinion or thoughts as to why that is. Well, I, so there's been a lot of this in the news lately. Um, there was a story that just came out this week of a doctor um, who ended up dying due to complications from childbirth. Wow. And I mean, she's a doctor. She, um, she knew, she knew the system in and out and still it failed her. Wow. Uh, those stories like, Oh man, they, every time I see something like that, I am so very aware of how just how truly lucky we are um to be here like my myself and my children like how just how lucky we are that we survived it because the odds were truly stacked against us in so many different ways there is a very clear um issue of implicit bias and systemic racism within the world of medicine particularly in terms of uh, obstetrics and gynecology. And I, there's just, there's so much that needs to be done there. Um, educating our, our doctors and providers on, and like nursing staff, everyone, everyone in the room needs to 
recognize their biases. And it's all about, um, are we going to include mothers in on this? Like, we're, we're part of this too. Like we are an active part of this team. Like to think of like the doctors, the nurses and the mother, like we're all working together here for this like good outcome. We're all like rooting for this baby to like make it. So I don't know. It's about like listening to mothers, like not dismissing their pain. That's another thing. Like mother, like black women, their pain gets dismissed at like these uh, like astronomical rates compared to, um, women and men of other, of other races. And Mm. it's like, we need to believe black women. We need to believe black women when they say, here's a problem. Um, you know, getting preeclampsia. My mom had preeclampsia with me. Um, and I was in emergency C-section because of it. And so, and my mother, my mother is black. My mother is Kenyan. Like it's, it's, you know, that, that's so scary. Um, like the genetic component of that, but there's also like just negligence that goes into that too, that like, we're not believing women. We're not paying attention to these signs. We're just, we're dismissing things that we really shouldn't be dismissing. Um, I don't know, lead with empathy um, and give people the benefit that like, believe them, you know, what's the worst that could happen? You know, like believe this mother when she says, I don't feel good. I have a crazy headache. Um, My feet are swollen. Like listen to her. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've heard Serena Williams' crazy birth story, which just blows me away because even her at, you know, at the notoriety that she has and the level of fame even struggled to get adequate health care when she was giving birth to her child. And um, I, I, I forgot exactly what it was. I think she had some sort of like vein clot condition or something and she mm-hmm. knew she was starting to get the symptoms and then notified the providers or nurse or whatnot, and they didn't really believe her. And (laughs) she's like, no, I I know what this condition is. And I, you know, this is something that I struggle with. Like, this is what I need. I I forgot all the details. Um, Basically she was right. uh, But it's just crazy because she's also, she's Serena Williams. (laughs) So you would think that she wouldn't have that, that kind of problem. And, and, and just as you were saying too, I mean, the prejudice against women in, a lot of times the healthcare setting, there's already that, imp- that kind of prejudice saying, you know, oh, it's all in your head, those sorts of things. I know I personally have experienced that even um, being told that my pain was all in my head, even though later it was, it's very clear and obvious that it was not. Right. Um, and then, and then you add in the race factor on top of that, it's just a double wham- whammy. So I just, yeah, I, I don't really know what the solution is for that. But just as you were saying that as long as people listen and practice some empathy and try to check their biases, then hopefully, you know, some, something like that will change. Uh, So getting back to, uh, you know, your whole journey of having quadruplets. And and so you mentioned how you delivered them and then all of that. So how was it having four babies and newborns all at once? It was wild. So they rocked, their time in the hospital. They were incredible. Um, there was never, there was never a moment where we were scared or got bad news. And like, it was just, it was, it was crazy. <laughs> um, I still can't really believe it. Um, it was wild. They, they came, they got out of the NICU after, um, they were born on a Sunday and they were in the special care nursery by Wednesday and they wow. all came home at three weeks old. 
So they all came home on the same day, which I am actually very grateful for uh, because it, I think I love my kids very dearly, but I think it would have been very, very hard to go back and get get more. Like if I came home with two and it was impossible, I'd be like, you know what? Can you just like keep those ones until they're 18? I'll come and visit on weekends or something. But they came home home at the same time. And the best thing was that they came home on their schedule. Like they came Mm. home with a schedule, Um, which, you know, your ordinary singleton baby does not. So (laughs) so I, I really appreciated that. Um, they, they were very tiny, you know, they came home at, uh, 36 weeks gestation. And so they're very sleepy. And so we had to feed them every three hours. And in the middle of the night, that meant waking them up. And, um, during the day it meant waking them up too, but Matt and I had to, um, set set so many alarms like okay I'm gonna be awake in an hour and a half because <laughs> I have to feed these babies but um I mean those first those first few weeks were they're sort of a blur but they're like a bright there's like a brightness there like it was very tough but it was I mean we had like a flurry of activity at our house like there's always something there was always someone helping us um people were so eager to jump in and you know bring meals or you know, wash dishes or do laundry or whatever. Like people were so eager to help. And Mm. so I, I am so still so deeply grateful for that. We had postpartum doulas for their whole first year uh, came by and helped during the day and then helped at nights too. So we could get some sleep. Um, I don't know. I just doulas, man, they're doing the Lord's work. (laughs) They are. I mean, I had a doula in the, in the hospital and, I mean, she was, she was so helpful, um, advocating for us and advocating for our babies and, um, just keeping us sane and helping us communicate properly with staff and, um, and then to have that same sort of attention, you know, sort of help us transition into like taking care of these babies at home, um, with postpartum doulas and helping me with like pumping and, you know, uh, feeding the babies and all of, I don't know, they were, they were so helpful. I don't know how I would have done that entire year without them um, with sleep schedules and, you know, they're going through brain leaps and sleep regressions and just all sorts of stuff. It was, I'm so, we had so much help and it was, it was honestly the best. It was the best. I miss those little babies. Mm, (laughs) How what exactly do uh, postpartum doulas do? I've heard so many great things about them. Um, I'm just curious because it seems like if if you're going to be having multiples, it seems like you definitely should have some. Oh, yeah. So I didn't have to watch them all. <laughs> um, and one of, one of the postpartum doulas, she's an incredible cook, and she would make me these, like, incredible savory breakfasts mm. that were so nutritious and I, I don't know. They were, it was also really nice to have like conversation with another adult. Um, and I don't know, they helped me with like paste bottle feeding or sort of hacking sleep schedules and stuff. Um, and trying to figure out like there was a time when my son Raphael, I mean, he's still not the greatest sleeper. Um, but he, when he was an infant was an impossible sleeper. And so helping us sort of 
unpack that and figure out how, how can we help him and, and whatnot. But they, they genuinely cared about like my well-being and the well-being of, of my children. And so it sort of felt like it was taking me and like multiplying myself um, and having this like extension of myself helping me out and holding a baby or, or doing what needed to be done, helping me with pumping. My goodness. Um, so much good advice from them. Uh, and also, you know, helping me to not feel so bad about being like, I think that I should not do this anymore. I think that pumping uh, is not working out for me. So like they helped, they helped me with that and um, both emotionally and like in a sort of technical sort of way. Um, Yeah. They're, I highly recommend, I understand that there is, you know, a financial barrier to them, but they're, I don't know. It sort of speaks, it sort of goes back to this idea that like we are meant to like, be connected to one another and that like, we're not supposed to be mothering by ourselves. We're not supposed to be doing all these things so isolated and being so individualistic. Um, You know, we have these like neighborhoods and everyone's in their four, their four walls, you know, and they, Mm -hmm. they're raising their families like by themselves. And we're not supposed to do that. Like we're supposed to, there's supposed to be a community that, that surrounds you and helps you um, and catches you when you fall. And I feel like this, just the idea of a postpartum doula, you know, I think speaks to that. That sounds great, even for having one kid. (laughs) So where where did you find your postpartum doula? That just sounds amazing. My sister-in-law, Erin, now she's like my best friend, but uh, she quickly saw (laughs) that I was going to need this. Um, And so she reached out to a local Catholic group and was like, Hey, does anyone know of someone who can help with these babies? <laughs> and, uh, this group, um, called better beginnings run by a Catholic woman. Um, she was like the first one to say I can help. And yeah, that's, they, they were so helpful. Hallie's the best, the absolute best. That sounds amazing. I might have to check it out. And just in case, I, I don't know, I'm, we're just, having number two right now. I know that sounds nothing compared to your four all at once, but my husband and I are kind of nervous about that. Um, So it definitely sounds like a nice thing to keep in mind if if you need the extra help. And just as you were saying too, with everyone just so isolated norm, I mean, currently in our, in our culture, everyone's just so isolated that traditionally it hasn't always been that way. And and I know that I think it's in Japan or at least in some Asian cultures. I don't know if they still do that, but historically all the women in the family would come and take care of the baby for the first month or so, and then just let the mom rest and relax and everything. And I mean, that, that sounds so amazing because you're already recovering from pregnancy and then childbirth and then you have these children the little small babies that need constant attention that you have to take care of so yeah that that sounds so wonderful to to have that kind of setup I'm I'm half Kenyan so my mom um born and raised in Kenya and um came here with my dad shortly before I was born Mm -hmm. Uh, but when we go back to Kenya everyone lives in this same like compound like my mom is um, number five out of eleven, and oh my goodness. most of the most of her siblings live in this like within like this little like square one square kilometer of each other, um, and they're all helping one another. 
Like no one's, no one's doing their stuff by themselves. Uh, whether that's, you know, making meals for all the kids or, um, you know, harvesting crops or work, like working in the garden or, you know, just taking care of the space. Like everyone is, everyone is so invested in it and everyone is invested in one another. Even if they have like these differences, they're there for one another. Mm-hmm. Um, they can set that, set that aside and like love their neighbor. And I just, I wish that like American society did that more. I wish that there was more of that, that it wouldn't be so mm-hmm. weird to drop in on someone and be like, here, can I, can I do this for you? That it wouldn't stand out as such a like crazy thing, you know, that it wouldn't right. be such a big deal to do that. Like, I, I wish that we could get back to that, that we could, I don't know, act as like villages for one another and help, help one another. Right. I'm not sure why that is in the US, I guess, maybe because we have more of an individualistic mentality or whatnot. But it's it definitely seems like it's it gets worse in certain parts of the country. Since I'm in California, uh, it's definitely more standoffish and not as community based. It's funny because my husband's from the Midwest and people in the Midwest seem to be more community based and when we first moved into our neighborhood a few years ago and my husband was just trying to be friendly with all the neighbors and saying, Oh, you know, here's our phone number and, you know, let's get together sometime. And everyone was just looking at him like, who are you and why do you want to get together kind of thing? But it's like, well, we're neighbors, you know, don't you want to get to know your neighbors or something? Um, I, I, again, I know it's not that way in all parts of the country, but just as you were describing how everything's set up in Kenya, that sounds even better, you know, to just live in that type of community and have that support system. And, and I can imagine that people in Kenya probably don't feel as alone as, many Americans do because I know that there's a loneliness epidemic and helping with COVID and everything. It would also be interesting to see in those places um, what the rates of like postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety are, you know, because you don't feel so alone. You don't feel, it doesn't feel as impossible. I mean, obviously (laughs) it's not like this utopia because there's, you know, poverty and disease and all sorts of, right, other, right. you know, they have all these other issues that they're dealing with um, that are unique to that part of the world. But I don't know, there's the, I don't know. I, I think it's something that we should, we should be striving for. Um, and it's sort of seen as it's like this, I don't know, not as civilized sort of like, it's sort of like, picture it that people sort of depict it that way that it's you know they're not as advanced you know like they're they're not doing things the way that we do them I'm like well good like that seems to be working for them though in this in this regard it seems to be working like families are connected in in a way that they're just not here it's really easy to isolate with or without a pandemic it's very easy to isolate (laughs) exactly exactly yeah that's so true so uh, switching gears a little bit, going back to being a mom of multiples, um, how is it now? So your four little ones just turned four, and how is it raising multiples? I know you don't have anything to compare it to, but I'm just curious, like, how is life raising more than, than one at once? This season of our lives has been by far the most difficult. Um like I said, like I miss those babies. Like I, and I think it's because I also miss that community because I mean, 
especially like once they like hit the one year mark, like people sort of like went back to, to normal, you know, they weren't as, um, the immediate, the immediacy and the urgency wasn't there, you know, cause it wasn't like a bunch of little babies, you know, it was, it seemed, it's seemed that people were like, you know, I don't need to go over there. I don't need to bring a meal. Um, and, and so we've, you know, come to this place here where now with the pandemic, we're really feeling like the disconnect that's happened mm-hmm. um, and really feeling like the loss of that like village that we had. And that's not to say, that's not like me calling out everyone and saying like, I'm mad at you. I'm absolutely not. I, <laughs> I, I understand <laughs> because a lot of those people got married and had babies of their own. So I right. thousand percent understand. Um, but I mean, the first three months of, of this pandemic, we, once Minnesota locked down, we locked down away from my mom, who has been the biggest help uh, mm-hmm. for three months. And man, oh man, with rates getting worse now, I am really nervous that we're going to have to do that again because my grandma from Kenya is living with my mom. Mm-hmm. And um, my brother lives with my mom as well. And he has... Uh, some congenital lung issues. And so he's high risk. And so, I mean, we were, we made a very conscious decision to double bubble. Um, and we protect that bubble and I don't know, it's, it's tough. Like these, I have these four very distinct individuals, like obviously they're siblings and obviously there's some overlap, but they are so different from one another. And I mean, it's really cool and, and interesting to just see them all their dynamic with one another. And it has made me reflect on my, like I come from a family of four kids. And so to sort of reflect on that, to be like, what if we were raised all at once? Oh, right. <laughs> that have been like, because there's things like with birth order and everything that, you know, my sister is the youngest and there's nine years between us, you know? So like, mm-hmm. what if we were raised at the same time? Like, what would our relationship be like? And so I, I don't know. I sort of envy them. I sort of envy my kids. Cause I'm like, you have these, like you each have like three best friends, you know, built <laughs> right here. And there's always someone willing to play with you. And, um, I don't know, like they're, it's a, it's a really cool age. It's a really tough age because they're, you know, independent little people who the most common phrase in our house besides no is <laughs> self. <laughs> so, so everyone is trying to do everything by themselves. Um, so it's been a real test uh, for my patients. But <laughs> I don't know. It's so they the way that they talk, like the things that they'll say, um, the things that they notice. Uh, it's just and then to have it, you know, I think like one child that would be just like mind blowing. But to have it happening fourfold is just. Gosh, I can't keep up with all of it. Like I can't keep up with all the very quotable things that they say. Um, <laughs> my son yesterday, I was buckling him up in his car seat after a doctor's appointment, and he, I said, Ben, you're a really special kid. And he said, Yeah. Did you get me from the good kid store? I was like, Oh, <laughs> what? <laughs> and I was like, No, I made you. You lived in my belly. Remember? Oh. But, or like Theodore, the other day we were talking, there's this book called Honey Smoke and it's about this girl who is biracial and she's trying to figure out like what to call her skin tone because she doesn't look like her mom. She doesn't look like her dad. And um, 
She doesn't look like a lot of her, her peers. And so she comes up with this term that like her mom's skin is like honey and her dad's skin is white like smoke. And so she's honey smoke. And so I asked my kids like, okay, what color are you? And Theodore says that he is dark bright. And I just, oh man, the the creativity that you could see him, like he felt so proud to be like, I'm dark bright. And like he could see that his skin was like lighter than Raphael's or mine or Cora's, but he could see that like there was a warmth to it. I don't know. It was, it's so interesting just to see like what they notice. And I don't know, they're just like these four pure little babies that I just want to keep in a little bubble forever. Like stay like this forever. Oh, yeah. That's so beautiful. I, I know just as you were saying with the quotables that my daughter's now that she's almost three, she definitely has a lot of those and it's hard for us to keep up with just one. But again, it's so cute at the same time that you just want to treasure it and, you know, really live in the moment. So I, I can't even imagine with four and yeah, yeah, that seems like a lot. So I, going forward in the future, I guess, um, what what are your plans, I guess, in terms of, or do you even have any of, of raising them or how, how you're going to, like, I assume, like, send them all to the same school and um, those sorts of things? And, you know, are you going to have them the same kind of activities? I guess that's, I, those are the sorts of things that I think I would think of if I had multiples, like, oh, should I have them both in dance or something like that? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you've given any thought to that. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I'm like agonizing as equally right now over like where they're going to go to preschool and also where they're going to go to high school. Like <laughs> I'm trying to like map everything out. Um, but that's just how my brain works. Uh, right. Yeah. I'm, I'd like them to go, I'd like them to all be in like the same sort of classroom setting for like preschool. Cause I think that that would be a good way for them to transition into that because I'm also dropping, you know, and, and t- like four people that are their own little like social ecosystem into a classroom, like boom, here are four people that know nothing else than each other. And so I think like in a preschool setting, like we're leaning towards like a Montessori type thing. Mm-hmm. For them. They were supposed to start this fall, but uh, the world set on fire. So we're hoping that we can set them, send them next fall. Um, we were just cautious with them because they, um, our doctors were like, well, they're still, a little preemie babies, um, even though they're doing really well, I just wanted to be cautious with them. Uh, but I think moving forward from that, like we'd, I, we would like to send them to Catholic school. Um, both my husband and I went to, um, Catholic school and, um, I don't know. I just, I, I like that like smaller environment for them. And, um, ideally it would be like a school that had like more than one classroom for each grade, just in case, like I need to separate a couple of kids. Um, cause I can already see now that there are ones that speak up for other ones. Mm. Someone gets asked a question, someone else who's more extroverted might speak up for the quieter kid. Um, and so I don't know, it's, it's little things like that where like their little personality sort of influence this from like, Oh, would this be the best situation for them? But also be right. of like, you know, whatever their racial identity is, you know, how, how that's going to impact their like educational experience and like I want them to go to a school that like really um, celebrates that and doesn't make them feel less than or other because of that Um, because I had negative experiences with that throughout Mm. my 
private and public education. Um, and so I'm just trying to be really mindful of all of that. Um, yeah, it's in terms of like activities, uh, my husband and I both played soccer and I, um, ran track. And so I'm like, yeah, you know what? Those are sports where all you need is like (laughs) the uniform and a ball or your leg. So I'm like, that sounds, uh, cheap slash free. So let's do that. (laughs) We live in a suburb that is like super gung ho about hockey, especially because it is Minnesota. And uh, I just, I don't know. (laughs) I didn't play hockey. I love watching it. I just don't see myself being a hockey mom. Uh, Our neighbors are trying very, very hard to get the kids into hockey. (laughs) That's hilarious. I know now that uh, since our first is a girl and then this one that I'm having in a few weeks is a boy, uh, you know, my husband and I have been talking about sports. Like, oh, I wonder if he's going to be interested in any sports or what he'll be good at. And uh, it's funny because I know nothing about sports. So now I'm just realizing that, oh, I probably will have to learn some type of sport and get really into it now. Yeah, but I mean, if you start them young, then like you can sort of like learn the game with them. That's true. (laughs) That's a good point. Well, I've enjoyed our conversation so much and just hearing your story and it's just so multifaceted and so interesting. And I really appreciate you coming on and taking the time to share your experience with multiples. I, I mean, I know that most moms who have multiples, we're probably only talking about two, maybe three. So the fact that you have four, I just feel like you're the expert on multiples. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, so it was just such a pleasure talking with you. And the last question that we always ask every mom on our show, and uh, I'm sure uh, you've sort of answered this already, but uh, it's in, in line with our motto is a time that you realize that it's okay to not be perfect and it's okay to be a good mom instead. Oh yeah. I 1000%. <laughs> yeah. I am the furthest thing from perfect. Um, there is no room for that here. Um, yeah. Just, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, sorry, I missed the question. Oh, yeah. If, if there's just a particular moment or an example, I guess, kind of like an aha moment where you realized that you don't have to be perfect. Oh, I would say there was a moment when we brought the kids to mass. It was one of the first times that we brought them to mass. And we always sat in the back and just people coming out not knowing that we were there. People wouldn't know that we were back there uh, until they came out of mass. And so they would see us and just like the pure joy. Like I thought that like it looked like a hot mess situation because there's toys everywhere and my kids are crawling under everything. And I'm like waiting for someone to like scold me about this and for them to just like delight in that and for my kids to react so joyfully back. Like I... I remember that so vividly and, and like, I, I remember taking like a very conscious deep breath and being like, Oh, okay. (laughs) We're fine. Um, and, and sometimes it's like the, the messy chaos of it all. Like I'm never going to have four babies that are doing like the exact perfect thing all at the same time. That has never happened. Uh, 
but they're still, they still bring so much joy. They still just bring so much joy. That's beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Justina, so much again. And I really appreciate you taking the time to come on. Oh, yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me.